Welcome to the Alyssa Cohen Podcast, where I help you find what makes you happy, healthy, and what fills you up. If you like what you hear and want to support this podcast, you can check out my Patreon page, where you can get extra content that only my Patreon community has access to. You can find that and more links at AlyssaCohen.com. A shout out to Eric and Julie, two new patrons. Thanks so much, guys, for supporting this podcast and the YouTube channel. Hey everyone, I'm here with Dr. Nicole Andrade. She is a chiropractor, holistic healer, and shamanic herbalist. She is also certified in many other techniques, including the Webster Technique for Pregnancy. She owned and operated the Atlantic Family Chiropractic in Gloucester, Mass. for 13 years. And she is currently offering chiropractic treatment at the Lydian Center for Innovative Healthcare in Cambridge, Mass. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good. I feel like we have a lot to talk about. We do have a lot to talk about. <laughs> so I know you're known around here as the medicine woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I wanted to talk to you about herbs and all kinds of stuff, but I know you wanted to talk about um, vaccinations and things like that as well. Yeah. Well, I, I think a great place to start is just the perspective of coming at healing from the perspective of vitalism, that I'm lucky as a chiropractor that so much of my training was philosophically based on the concept that the body knows how to heal itself and that if we remove the barriers to that, that the body will in fact heal itself. And um, this is a principle that holds true in a number of different holistic modalities in homeopathy, in acupuncture, in herbalism, that there is a flow of naturally occurring energy in the body that if it's blocked, you can open it. And if it's too open, you can turn it down. And that's kind of where I come from, the basis for everything. Mm -hmm. So tell me what kind of chiropractic you practice, first of all. So for... What did we decide it was? 17 years? I don't even remember. I was a very hands-on kind of manual rack'em crack'em chiropractor. I had really good success with that. I had a big practice and when I had my son I had to downsize to the degree where it didn't actually make sense for me to keep running my big practice so I kind of took a sabbatical for maybe three years and when I decided to go back to chiropractic work I had already started also doing some herbalism work and wasn't really 100% sure where my energy should be focused, but I knew that I wanted to go back into chiropractic work, that I really could make a difference there, and I found the Lydian Center in Cambridge, which I had kind of heard through the grapevine was doing some pretty interesting and very effective things, particularly in the pediatric arena, which is one of my areas of focus. Um, so I went there to see what they were doing and it's a totally non-force technique and it works a lot with acupressure points and, uh, energy kinesiology, which is kind of another way that we help the body show us where the traumas and the injuries are stored and then basically give the body permission to layer by layer, let go of those traumas and injuries at the body's own pace and in the proper order where it is a more easeful process for the system to just let go of things rather than me using my hands to try and shove them back into place where they where they should be because 
what I was finding was even though people were getting a lot better and I was having really good success, they were having to still keep coming like every eight to 10 weeks, which to me was still, uh, you know, people were happy with that, but I wanted something that was going to be a little more curative. So is this like network chiropractic? It's not. It's called axial stability method. Um, It is kind of sacral occipital. We also use an activator instrument. There's a lot of acupressure points. We use muscle testing for information. But for most people, it's a series of eight to 10 visits to get through the basic foundation. And once that foundation is in, there's a ligamentous stability that allows it to stay in unless you encounter some kind of injury or, you know, you have a shock. surgery or some kind of mm. real shock to the system. It really, it lasts pretty long. And there were patients that, you know, they were going six months, a year, two years, and then they would come in and I could definitively tell them that's going to be, you know, one to three visits and it's going to be better. And if within three visits it's not better, I know I didn't get the diagnosis correct because the technique is that effective wow. that it's it's really incredible. Um, and then there's a whole nother side of the technique Um that is viscerosomatic, what we call viscerosomatic reflex. Um, And that is when people come in with different viruses or different illnesses or different organic dysfunctions that we have a system where we can identify where that problem is and help the body direct energy into that visceral or immune or, you know, whatever that pattern is they've got going on. So about 40% of our business in the winter is actually treating Mm. viruses and um, ileocecal valve dysfunction is a huge thing that we're up against right now because of the glyphosate in the food and the EMFs from the phones. Mm. And it's really, even in the four years that I've been there, it's become a much bigger barrier to us being able to move people forward effectively through the treatment. And do you use herbal treatments as well? Because I know you're an herbalist. In my office in Cambridge, I do a lot of herbal... Uh, infusions, which was one of the things that I wrote down to talk about the the idea of nourishing the systems that are already there to help the body be healthy rather than waiting for the systems to be under some kind of challenge and then using the more heroic herbal approach of treating the symptom and trying to fix the problem that you know the liver and the kidneys and all of the different systems in the body if they're functioning optimally then they can move through illnesses and also just in general the tissues are supported so you're nourishing them into health and allowing them to function optimally Um, I have had a lot of patients actually get really sick over the years being on different detox programs and trying to really dramatically change the diet. And I'm grateful that some of my herbal teachers pointed me really early on to the concept of using the nourishing herbal infusions and other nourishing ways of using plants to enhance the already existing functions that the organs have. It's a very self-nurturing form of self-care and practice, unlike going in straight for the detox, which is a very kind of adversarial approach to the system. If you're not, if it's not done 
with a lot of awareness that it's telling the system that there's something in there that doesn't belong there and I've put this thing here and I need to drive it out like the devil. Um, which is, I think, most of the time. Which most is most people, of the time in yeah, Western, people, yeah. So this to. is more of a way of saying, hey, I have a liver and I have kidneys and organs of elimination that are designed to process these things properly. And if I just enhance the ability that these organs already have so they can do it optimally, then again, it will do it at its own pace. And of course, you have to develop the awareness of maybe I should put less of certain things in my body if ultimately this is causing a problem. That was one of my questions. Are there herbs that you feel like people should be taking on a regular basis and herbs that you think people, that you see people taking, like there's a lot of popular herbs Mm -hmm. that people know of now, like Mm -hmm. echinacea and golden seed, you know, some Mm -hmm. basic herbs. Are there ones that you think, oh, people shouldn't be taking that all the time or ones that you think we should be on? Well, it's funny that you would bring up golden seal because I think especially this time of year Mm -hmm. where so many people are sick and they've learned about golden seal being one of the things that you can use for that. I only use golden seal when I'm at the point where somebody's going to have to take antibiotics or some kind of pharmaceutical that like if I haven't been able to get it under control with other things, Mm. um, I think a lot of herbalists use golden seal pretty regularly, but I find golden seal to be really strong. I do too. And, and I take it if I feel like something's coming it on. It can I, really irritate. The, yeah, intuitively, I feel like it's it's harsh really to the strong. System. Yeah, and it also is, if not endangered, a pretty solidly at-risk mm. plant. So you have to be really careful about where you're sourcing it. Mm-hmm. Most of the places that are that are selling it now, they're they're cultivating it and they're doing it sustainably. Um, but what about OSHA root is that? So OSHA is the same. Mm. I think it's, I think it's considered an at risk plant. Mm. Um, OSHA, the only time I use that is if someone is having like an acute allergic asthmatic or it's really good for like, you can actually stop an asthma track and an asthma oh. attack in its tracks with OSHA root if you oh. use it properly. I didn't know that I usually use it for like flu and viruses. But, yeah. Uh. And it's good in respiratory formulas for certain mm. things. The, the respiratory herbs can be tricky because some of them are very drying mm. and some of them need to be used with moistening demulcent they're called demulcent herbs to make sure that you're not drying things out too quickly. Unless you have a really wet, heavy, productive cough that you're trying to dry out. I would, I would rather use, you know, something like elecampane for that rather than mucinex. Um, but I, one of the plants that I use all the time is nettle. It grows here. So the body knows how to absorb it really well. It is an incredibly nutrient dense plant. The vitamins and the minerals and the proteins in nettles are, it's, there are herbalists out there that say that if we really truly understood the value of nettles nutritionally, that we actually wouldn't grow anything else. Really? That they're, they're just so simple and easy and inexpensive. So I have made actually kits that I sell in my office, which is like a quart mason jar, a stainless steel sprouting lid, and I sell nettles by the pound. I have them put a cup of nettles in, they fill it with boiling water, they leave it for four to six hours or overnight, and then they strain it off right through the straining lid in the morning and drink it over the course of the day. And it's really simple and really inexpensive, and I will mix that with other plants for people with really specific so do you, things that they're working on. So do you think people should be drinking nettle tea every day? 
So the only people that I would say shouldn't be doing that, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't like the word should. I know. I, 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 you know, but if you were <laughs> interested you <laughs> in enhancing your overall general wellness and you're not on blood thinners, mm -hmm. blood thinners um, can interact with vitamin K mm -hmm. and nettles are very high in vitamin K. So you just have to be aware if you're on blood thinners. And like any other plant, I mean, I think people can have reactions to anything. Everybody's body's different. Mm -hmm. So I always tell people, you know, start with a small amount, see how it makes you feel. Mm -hmm. And then if it feels good, then you can continue taking it. And it doesn't have to be a more is better situation. When you take a cup of dried nettles and you put them in a quart jar and you fill it with boiling water and leave it overnight, the liquid is black in the morning. Mm. It is so nutrient dense you can see it because the liquid is actually black. Um, so I like the infusion kits because it's a really simple way to get people into it. It's a really nice self-care practice. Mm. Um, it's inexpensive and nettles are overall just a great introduction to how to use and work with herbs because they're so deeply nourishing and it gets me into that idea of ethnobotany that I talked about also. Nettles mm. are a great example of this because you can make um, yarn with nettles. Really? You can take the nettles, you can cut them, and you can actually like whip your arthritic joints with them. Mm. The, the formic acid in the leaves, in the sting of the nettles, is the same compound that is in red ant stings. So it can be really actually pretty painful for some people, but it has the effect of bringing circulation and blood supply into an area. And then when the sting wears off, there's a lot of arthritic pain relief for, wow. for people that they're like in some countries they practice this like as a regular like you whip each other with nettles <laughs> yeah. I love talking about I mean I could talk about herbs all day yeah. it's fascinating like what you're talking about and I saw you speak one time at an event you did and I love how you tie in the um the medicinal components of the plant but then you were talking about talking to the plant and mm -hmm. asking it when it wants to be picked and I just love your approach to all of mm -hmm. it. Yeah, it's uh, so when I started getting into herbalism, one of the things that I kind of was so blessed, all these amazing teachers that I have mm. found over the years, that one of the first ones talked about this concept of the giveaway breath, really recognizing that interdependence and that vital force that every time you take a breath in, you're taking in oxygen from plants. And every time you take a breath out, you're giving carbon dioxide back to the plant. So there's this constant give and take. And if you're approaching herbalism with that level of awareness and um, gratitude isn't even the right word. It's like um, a reverence of what the what the plants, plants can give us if we're yeah. willing to open our eyes. What was funny about it is that I also, when I approached herbalism, I approached herbalism from the plant spirit medicine perspective. Mm, I, I was introduced to the concept of herbalism through master plant teachers, which mm. we thought about maybe talking about at some point today. Yeah. But some of these master plant teachers are... Um, quite strong hallucinogens called mm -hmm. entheogens, which open up different senses of awareness to take in information in ways that maybe you're not accustomed to. And what can you name some of those? Uh, so the master plants, what I consider to be the master plants based on my teachings are uh, tobacco. I put tobacco on the top based on my 
conversations with my Ecuadorian teacher, mm. which is kind of ironic if you look at the way that we use tobacco in the right, West, that it's right. not revered at all. It's grossly misused. Right. I was surprised to hear you say that. So I placed tobacco kind of, you know, um, not to play favorites, but I placed that one on the top. That plant is actually one of the most difficult plants for me to work with and um, generates the most personal change for me in very short periods of time. How so? What do you mean? It's very, the form that I work with the plant in is a, uh, it's a snuff that you blow up into the sinus cavity and it's painful and sometimes can be a very strong overall experience and sensations. So it really moves energy strongly through your body and I use it in a, in only a ceremonial way. I have a number of friends that, you know, they use it every day, many times a day, and I'm lucky if I can make myself work with it twice a week. Yeah. It really takes a tremendous amount of courage for me to sit with it every time I sit with it. Yeah. Um, so I hold tobacco, and there are other ways to work with that plant as mm -hmm. well, but that's the way that I'm currently working with it. And then the next one that I've focused on the most is ayahuasca, yeah. which is... Um, which now is more now is you know becoming like the latest coolest right, thing right. that everyone's interested in, but it is a very powerful entheogen that needs to be used in the proper set and setting. It can be um, I don't like the word dangerous, but there are a lot of people that are not using it in mm. uh, in they're not in right relation with the plant. They're not using it in the proper settings. Um, I think there are people that, you know, they can order it on the internet and make it themselves and get lucky and have a really fantastic mm. experience. And I've also known people that have had really scary experiences and they've never been really right again mm. since. Um, so my personal preference is to work with it only in a religious setting where there's a very structured group and uh, also religious settings are the only way where it's actually legal in the United States so that, you know, participants can not have to worry about that aspect of it. And I always recommend, if possible, that people actually go to South America to experience mm -hmm. it because it's legal there, number one, but that's also traditionally where the plant is from and so in where the people are most, yeah, where yeah. people are most experienced working with it. Mm -hmm. But what this plant did for me in the herbalism front is that, you know, chiropractically, and I was pre-med in undergrad, so I was already trained to work with a lot of supplements and herbs and different things, but herbalism specifically was not really part of my set of modalities that mm -hmm. I was using. When I started working with ayahuasca, the plant allies, as I call them, they started actually talking to me, which at first was a really interesting experience because I thought I was going crazy. <laughs> I really thought I was going crazy. I was, you know, hearing things, talking like, where, what, where is this coming from? What, you know? Um, and it was actually luckily again, because of the beautiful community that I'm surrounded with, people were actually able to reflect back to me like, wow, I can see how the plants are working with you. Like, do you not see that this is what's going on? So once I admitted that and I started delving into it and got less afraid of it, mm -hmm. then it started really opening up. And now it's incredible because years later, I started working with ayahuasca in 2004 and years later now I'm studying with, uh, teachers that uh, mediumship is a very active part of the practice that I'm realizing was actually already always going on, but I just never recognized it for what it was. So within it's been, you, yeah, you never, okay. 
So, so do um, you feel like when you started using this plant that it opened up that part of you? It did, and it opened it up in the healing front as well. That, you know, sometimes I'm working on people and I have this, you know, I start getting this information. It always comes from this upper right-hand side of my head. Mm-hmm. And uh, But with the plants, it's really funny because the plants, you know, I, I, I practice what I call plant spirit medicine. So I'm open to these plants being my teachers. And, and when you say, let me interrupt you, yeah. when you say plant spirit medicine, is that what it is for you? They talk to you and you get the information from the plant yes okay and traditionally you know the way that people learned how to use ayahuasca that you know they say that the plants told the people in the jungle how to use them or they uh you know with some medicines would witness the reactions that animals were having to eat eating certain things and um but i had the experience with elderberry one time it's a fun story Mm. That I had, again, beautiful people in my community, and many of them have lived with me over the years, and some of them are landscapers. And we had this beautiful elderberry bush that someone planted in the backyard. And every year, you know, I'm reading about, learning about elderberry, and people saying, like, oh, this is a very powerful plant. You should never, you know, harvest this plant unless you've been given permission by the plant it can be very dangerous and you can only harvest certain parts mm-hmm. and then the lore of the plant the goddess Eldamore, that that resides in the spirit of the plant that you know if you fall asleep next to the plant she'll kill you in your sleep and you know some of these stories are yeah. really um you know again the ethnobotany the, the lore yeah. and the uses and the stories go I back the to so many that. different cultures mm-hmm. so every day i would go out and like oh wow it's in flower i really want to harvest the flowers it's really good for children's fevers and i just never felt like i was getting permission from the plant so the plants, the life cycle of the plants, as you watch them go through, the flowers eventually drop off and then they turn to berries. So, you know, a couple years in a row, I watched the flowers turn to berries and I go, oh, I missed my opportunity to harvest the flowers. But the plant didn't give me permission yet, so I'm not going to do it. And when you say it didn't give you permission, you just weren't I hearing just, it? Well, I wasn't hearing it. Okay. And then the same thing, the berries would come and then the berries ripen and they get heavy and they drop down. They're called umbrals, the way that they grow and they grow up. But when they're ripe, they get so heavy and juicy that they drop down. And that's how you know that they're ready to harvest. And there's a very small window to harvest them before the birds eat them all. So the same thing, another year went by. I'm like, gosh, I really want to make some elderberry syrup. I know this is so good for flus and viruses. And um, I just, I missed my window again. And then the following year, one day I looked out the window and the bush had quintupled in size in one season. And it was in this one day to the next, like the whole bush was covered in white flowers. And there's these beautiful, like cream colored flowers with the little pistols. Like they're gorgeous. And I looked out the window and I was like, oh my God, look how, I can't believe how big it is. And it was really like, it was a like it was like, like, like emanating this, you know, it was really like, okay, okay. I see this. It's really great. And then, you know, the same thing happened. I would go out and I would talk to it. I'm like, I'm not hearing anything. Like, I feel like you're trying to get my attention, but I'm still not feeling the permission part. And one day I looked out the window and I I feel like overnight it got like, you know, two more times bigger. I mean, it really like it just grew. And I don't know if it was like the aura of it that I was seeing or what was going on, but I just sighed and I looked at it from inside the house. And all of a sudden the whole bush leaned forward towards me in the window and looked at me and said like, 
what are you waiting for? You're going to miss it again, you know? And then I took a step back and I was like, oh my God, I'm going crazy. Like I didn't, (laughs) did I just really see that? Am I having like a college acid flashback? Like what's happening? Um, So, and then a couple of years later, it was remarkable that, you know, in New England, we get the flu season when the daylight, as soon as the daylight shortens, as soon as we hit um, fall equinox and the daylight starts to shorten, that's when all the colds and the flus and the viruses come up. So I had this, you know, it's like a wave. It starts coming into my office. Everybody's sick. That week that that wave came into my office a couple of years ago was... I noticed one night was the first night that I pulled into the driveway and it was dark at the end of the day. I'm like, wow, the days are really getting shorter. Like this is the first night I've gotten home in the dark. Mm -hmm. And I had been watching the plant very um, vigilantly because I wanted to know like when the berries were ripe this time, I wasn't going to miss them. Like I was ready because I had permission. And that same night that I came home in the dark for the first time, the week that all my patients started coming in sick, I left the house in the morning and the umbrals were up and unripe. I got home at the end of the day and the umbrals were hanging and ready to be harvested. Wow. And I, and I, I mean, it was, I was just in awe of, (laughs) you know, once I figured out how to get out of the way and connect the dots and realize like how visibly the plants were telling me like, okay, it's time to make the elderberry syrup now because, you know. Oh, I um, love that. That's amazing. So I'm getting better each year at hearing these messages from the plants and capitalizing on them and making the seasonal medicines in time mm. for the things that are hitting. Like this time of year, it's so amazing that we're here this weekend in the seasonal calendar is uh, Imolk or Lamas, which is the midpoint in between winter solstice and spring equinox. So we're at the midpoint of winter right now. And this time last year was the time of year when all the kids started getting the stomach bug where they were all throwing up all over the place Mm. and I had a very specific tea that I made for that antiviral digestive upset and recovery and and like a deep nutrition for the children that like they weren't holding food down Mm. they had no appetite their stomachs were really sore for a week afterwards um and it's I'm trying to get to the point where I'm making all these seasonal tonics and having them ready for people before the thing Mm -hmm. actually hits. But life is is so busy that I'm not quite on the ball with it yet. But that's just one example of when you start working with plant spirit medicine. And when I started doing my herbal apprenticeship with my beloved herbal teacher in Marblehead, again, like so amazingly happy. It's Margie. I love her. You know, (laughs) the conference is like all over the place where, you know, I would learn from this woman and I get to apprentice with her in literally my own backyard. It's just, I'm I'm so unbelievably blessed. Um, and you know, when I started her course, God, I had this materia medica of like 150 plants that I had to start Mm. building, which I'm building on my website, seemingly insurmountable project. Mm. Um, but it was really hard for me because the plants have traditionally come to me one by one. They're, they're what in plant spirit medicine we call plant allies. So the plants would introduce themselves to me one by one. And then I would work with that plant get a feeling Mm. for that plant, um, learn more about that specific plant. And then once I got comfortable with it, then I would be able to see where it might be useful for other people. So it felt very impersonal for me to suddenly generate this materia medica of 150 plants. Oh, that, just to sit down and you learn know, Just to sit down and learn them scientifically, yeah. which there's a huge value sure. in. And I think I've developed relationships, you know, kind of 
circumstantially around that, mm-hmm. but it's not the same for me yeah. as it is not a with, personal experience. you know, elderberry, motherwort, lemon balm, mm-hmm. Solomon seal, which they call chiropractor in a bottle. I just love. Yeah. Tell what it, tell me about Solomon so seal. Solomon seal. I have that downstairs and I love it, yes. but I'm not, I only know a few things. About Solomon that. seal. They call it Solomon seal because when you take the root out of the ground where the stems grow out, there's like a little stamp in the, it looks like you, you know, you'll press like a wax stamp on a letter. Um, so the name came from that, and then there's also lore related to King Solomon, mm. which I would love to know more about, and King Solomon is actually a very specific figure that is part of different blessings in my ayahuasca churches, so it's I, I should learn more about King Solomon. I'm glad this is coming up this way, because mm. I'd like to be able to tell that part of the story mm. when it comes to Solomon's seal. But the way the stem grows out in the big arc... You know that it's true Solomon's seal because at every place where the leaf meets the stem, there are two little white flowers that hang down. And the two little white flowers hang down on two little white stems off of, and they might be they're like greenish white. They hang down right where the leaf meets the stem. And when you look at that, it's another perfect example of in herbalism what we call the doctrine of signatures, which means if you look really closely at the plant, the plant will tell you what it is good for. Mm. So they call it a chiropractor in a bottle because if you look at the spine, at every level of the spine, there are two nerves that come out and go to your arms, your legs, your organs. But at every level, there's that. So, you know, we've got this nice smooth curve of the Solomon seal with a nice strong... Um, branch that it's on it's not it's not a stem not a branch and then the two little pieces that come down at each segment along the way that are the nerves so anytime there's spinal pain or injuries in the spine or issues with nerves coming out of the spine it's just a brilliant example of the doctrine of signatures that yeah so we call it chiropractor in a bottle that's one that i give out a lot and it's a beautiful it's just a beautiful plant so i make oil that we use topically and also I do everything I just do it in in a vodka tincture Mm. and I haven't gotten around to actually making it in organic vodka yet because it's such a hassle to actually order large quantities of organic vodka in Massachusetts or not Mm. even vodka organic alcohol at all um I'd have to order it through New Hampshire and Mm. it's it's really it's a challenging but there are some really nice suppliers for different uh organic alcohols Mm. So what about replacing traditional meds with herbs? So other than time, mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I'm not focusing in on that more right now is because there's also, I mean, there's trial and error. You know, you could try something and you can see if it works. But one of the things that I'm still learning how to do is identify also the constitutional needs of the patient. So yes, we have an outright symptom that we're going after. But the symptom a lot of times is just a small tip of the iceberg of a more underlying larger constitutional problem that's going on. So if you take a plant that has hot qualities or dry qualities, and you give it to somebody because it's a good match for a specific symptom or ailment, but that person themselves is already hot and dry, then that could actually aggravate the problem. What you need to do is be able to know that the patient is hot and dry so that you can find a remedy that would balance them out that is a little bit cooler and a little more moist. 
my teachers, you know, I've learned over time, I'm working on uh, pulse diagnosis and facial diagnosis, tongue diagnosis, fingernail diagnosis. Um, yeah, there's so many different You know, there's ways. a lot of different ways to learn these things. And some of my teachers also teach about the Ayurvedic doshas. Mm-hmm. That's another good way to learn how. But I, you know, I laugh. It took me 14 years to actually believe that I was a good chiropractor. And I feel like since I've only been studying herbs since 2004, like it's reasonable that I'm still feeling like I'm not wanting to do (laughs) it. And Margie, bless her heart, you know, this, she actually made me cry the last time. The only herbal consultations I actually do right now are in Margie's clinic. Mm. Um, I'm going next Wednesday, actually. And she, the last time I was there, she put me in the hot seat, as I call it. And I did the intake for the client and prepared the, you know, the remedies and decided what we were going to give. And you know, always looking for her feedback to make sure that I'm getting it right. And she looked at me and she said, God, that was like one of the most impeccable intakes I've ever had. Like, it's really like, why aren't you practicing clinical herbs? Oh, yeah, you're that- so knowledgeable. I, again, when I heard you speak about herbs and the way you do it makes it so relatable and interesting to people. Yeah. It's not just like, okay, for this ailment, there's this herb. So for me, it's the thing that I always am coming back to. Like I said, it took me 14 years to decide that I was actually a good chiropractor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there is this Hippocratic oath that healers that actually care about what they're doing and are trying to be in, in right relation as much as possible with what they're doing. You know, we have this Hippocratic oath, which basically says above all, do no harm. So until I feel like I'm solidly diagnostically a hundred percent on point with being able to recognize these constitutional differences between people, mm. it's like, I'm just like, I'm not there yet. Mm. I'm not there yet. And it's, I think particularly working with the master plants, it's very important to have a very healthy level of humility. Um, And I think sometimes for me, that can also be a barrier Mm -hmm. that like I. Do you work with psilocybin also? So psilocybin for me is, um, again, it's a beautiful medicine when it's used in the, in the right context. Um, so we never finished that, that conversation. So I have tobacco, I have ayahuasca, I have, uh, San Pedro cactus, which I kind of Mm. hold on the same level with peyote, which I've never worked with. Um, and then psilocybin and Amanita muscaria, the, the kind of fungal family of things. And I actually put cannabis in the list of master plant medicines as Mm. well. Me too. And I apologize masters if there's someone that I'm forgetting, (laughs) but those are the, those are the kind of primary list. One of the things that my teacher who passed away a couple of years ago taught me, which I have found to be true, is for me psilocybin is a what, I, what we call a net energy loss. Okay. That there's an experience to be had with it and that, you know, if, if used with intention, which is always the way that I work with master plants, um, it can be very beneficial. Mm. For me, it's a long-term net energy loss. Like it's not my medicine really. Okay. It's you just don't feel connected. I I mean, it's a beautiful medicine and I've had beautiful experiences with it, but it is, it does not do anything for me to move me further down my path of service Mm -hmm. with the plants and other services. Um, so there's a lot of studies right now about, you know, microdosing it for depression. Mm-hmm. And I know there's people that have really studied it quite a bit in more um, medical research settings. And there's definitely benefits to be had from it. I have absolutely zero question about that. 
Um, it's just not my medicine, yeah. personally. Yeah. So, you, do you also use homeopathy? I do. Okay. I do. Um, and I use, I use personally and with my family, we use constitutional homeopathy. Mm-hmm. We have an unbelievably good um, homeopath in Rockport that we use. Amazing that she's right here. She works internationally via Skype and... Um, She's, she's just incredible. Mm-hmm. And I have two really great homeopaths in my office in Cambridge as well. That one of them that I know was actually, she's written several books and she has had her, had her own homeopathy school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, homeopathy works on that premise a little bit differently. That premise of vitalism, which is like treats like. So you can take any naturally occurring substance and potentize that substance in the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest quantity where it doesn't have any physiological or biochemical effects per se, because it's just such a minute quantity of it. But it has an energetic signature because of its vitalism. And things with vital forces recognize our vital forces, and we can use the homeopathy to improve the flow of our vital forces to to treat things and when a constitutional homeopathic remedy is really properly diagnosed it is incredible how effective it is yeah i've had that experience yeah so i oftentimes you know if i have a child that's come in and they've fallen and they have a huge bruise or a sprain or you know i'll use arnica or ruta or um you know uh, i focus obviously i'm in a chiropractic office so i focus on like the musculoskeletal remedies mm-hmm. um restox bryonia there's a whole bunch of them that so i will use them for triage purposes but if i know someone's on a constitutional remedy then i'll just tell them to call their homeopath and find out how to dose their constitutional remedy for the injury that they mm. have uh, i had somebody the other day that had just had a surgery and they responded really well the surgery went fine but they were having all of the pain around the puncture sites where all their IVs went in mm-hmm. and um I got rid of the pain in 24 hours with um I can't believe I'm drawing a blank on it right now I just prescribed it last week it's the same one that I give for ticks it begins with an L Leadum. <laughs> Leadum. thank you uh lead them a specific or puncture ones mm-hmm. and again it's just you know telling the system I'm acknowledging that you're telling me you're having this problem because of the pain from a puncture so I'm going to give you this remedy that specifically is for puncture. And then your system makes that, connects those dots, and it can relax around the inflammation that it's created around the puncture because, you know, it's not infected. It's just it was a trauma that this, that the body had. And once the trauma was acknowledged, the body was like, oh, okay, I can be done with this. Yeah. So do you think that most things can be, that herbs and homeopathy and natural medicines can be used Instead of meds, because I mean, I haven't taken an aspirin in 30 years. Yeah. Well, and it's just my own absolutely. thing. And, and this is the thing that, you know, to get back around to that highly controversial yeah. topic that we've maybe been trying to avoid, that yeah. this is a very upsetting conversation for some people. It's very, very triggering. And the reason why it's triggering is because of fear. Nobody wants to see anyone they love die. No one wants to see anybody that they love suffer. No one wants to lose someone from the family and watch everyone around them suffer in that grief. So I want to start, since it was such a good segue into this, by saying that like just the fact that we're having this conversation is such a conversation of privilege. 
one of the things that my college thesis advisor and I have been playfully arguing about is the fact that a lot of people out there don't have the knowledge that I have as much as I'm trying to create ways to get this information out on mm -hmm. a free and accessible basis so that everyone has the information. Not everyone has the ability financially to buy all of the herbs and supplements and things that they know or healthy food or the ability to be home and cooking that food for their children. So we have, in my opinion, as educated people, that have the means and the understanding and the skill and the desire to use what's available to us to prevent illnesses and various ailments. And we can do that naturally by enhancing the things that the body is already doing. I believe that we in that situation have a right and a responsibility to actually do exactly that that we have these sovereign bodies that we've been given and that if we have a way to take care of these bodies that we have a right and responsibility to do it. It's not saying that we're not going to make mistakes sometimes and we're not going to be prone to pitfalls or addictions or um, other things but if you have a skill set of knowing during virus season there's elderberry syrup, there's vitamin D, there's vitamin A, there's vitamin C to bowel tolerance, there's zinc, there's magnesium, there's getting very simple exercise of moving your limbs so that your lymphatics are pumping, there is deep nutrition of vegetable <clears throat> and bone broths, the proper fruits and vegetables, colors of the rainbow. Our bodies know how to fight these infections and this concept of having our bodily sovereignty removed by forcing us in an era of personalized medicine to be forced into a one-sized-fits-all vaccine program or any medical intervention at all that is being forced upon you that is not something that you want when you have other tools to use in place of it. You are being labeled as a crazy person that is out to injure people around you by not complying with this thing that has become accepted as the thing that everyone must do. And you're talking vaccinations, flu vaccinations, I mean, vaccinations for in children. In the context of the way that you asked the question <laughs> and where we were at in the mm -hmm. conversation, like it was a good time to bring up vaccines specifically. Mm -hmm. The, the tricky part about this is that because it is such a fear-based system, and I'm not saying that it didn't come from all good intentions of easing illness and suffering and death. Of course, that's where it came from. But when I was a child, there were seven. And I want to say there's like 72 now. Wow. And, you know... There was an Ebola outbreak, and then there was an Ebola vaccine, and there was a Zika outbreak. I don't know if there's a Zika vaccine now, but there's a coronavirus up now. Now they're fast-tracking a coronavirus vaccine. And this is all happening in a time frame where the government is trying to mandate that everyone must have these things. And this is not a one-size-fits-all program. If I told you in 20 years of chiropractic, the num chiropractic practice, the number of children that I have seen that have been completely normal one day mm. and totally incapacitated or in the hospital the next day with a number of different conditions. You know, everyone loves to focus on autism. Autism, in my opinion, is multifactorial. And but you're saying you, from the vaccines... 
Uh, well, I have day, a number of parents day. that come in and their child, and I've seen their <laughs> children. Their children were totally on target, developmentally normal. Everything was fine. And all of a sudden, one day the child came in and I, I said, what's going on? Like what? The child's not looking at me. The child, and, and because I have a pediatric practice, you know, a lot of the parents are coming to me in desperation. Like, what do I do? Like, I'm, I know that this is what caused this and nobody will believe me. Mm. And then it's not in my scope of practice to confirm that for them. My bigger issue is, again having the right to bodily sovereignty, knowing that you have the right to make medical decisions for yourself. Because as soon as we allow the government to mandate one thing, then it opens the door for them to mandate other things, which I just don't think that that should happen. Mm -hmm. But it is not even about autism for me. It is about the fact that the immune system does not exist in a vacuum. And yes, I'm sure, based on research, a lot of these things are going to supply a potential for delayed susceptibility to infectious disease. And for a lot of children, that's a really important thing. And a lot of children that can't get the vaccines, that's a really important thing. I have one friend whose child has had a heart transplant and chickenpox could kill him. I feel awful that they have to live in that fear every day. Mm. It's very tricky when you have families that are struggling with issues like that. But the immune system also, to grossly oversimplify there are two sides to the immune system. There's the Th1 side, which is the cellular immunity. There's the Th2 side, which is the humoral immunity. The Th1 side, the cellular immunity is learned. You have to actually get sick in order for your immune system to learn how to mount a proper immune reaction. Once that immune reaction happens, again, to grossly oversimplify, the body recognizes that it has seen this infection, it generates antibodies for the infection, and then part of the immune process then takes that learned experience over to the humoral side of the immunity where the body now recognizes and kind of like sticks a pin in the map of this happened. And then the next time it sees that thing, yes, you'll have a cellular response, but it will more quickly trigger that humoral response and the body recognizes, oh, we know exactly what antibodies to use because we've seen this before. When you constantly stimulate the immune system artificially with a bunch of dangerous and very strong adjuvants that cannot be selective specifically just for the diseases that they're injecting alongside of them, that humoral side of the system becomes very, it, it's, it's TH2 stimulating by design, trying to create this memory immunity. The two sides work in balance. So when you heighten the TH2 immunity like that, it's at the expense of the Th1 immunity. And because of the numbers of these things that the children are getting now, a lot of the children are actually losing the ability to develop cellular immunity. We're also hitting the point where we've now entered into an arena where the mothers birthing these babies have never properly developed Th1 immunity. So the babies aren't getting the antibodies from the mother's blood supply in utero, and the babies aren't getting the antibodies in the breast milk. So from the beginning, their so from the beginning, their immune systems are already compromised. Mm -hmm. And I jokingly always refer back to I don't know if you've ever read Starhawk's The Fifth Sacred Thing, but it you know it talks about this world where we're living in where like once you start getting these things, you have to actually have to keep getting them because without that cellular cellular immunity, maybe you want to have the shot and decrease your susceptibility to the potential for these infectious diseases, but science is also always evolving. We know that Th2 immune system dominance is linked to a slew of autoimmune and allergic conditions. 
that aren't being studied and will never be admitted that there is a potential correlation there and in the long term are a much larger chronic public health problem than infectious diseases. It's a different set of problems, but it is in a healthcare system that is already so broken and unable to handle the level of chronic illness that we have in the country. Like this is a real, it's a real problem. And then, you know, there's research out right now that say the current version of the whooping cough vaccine that they're using actually makes you more susceptible to whooping cough for life irreversibly. And then if they try and mandate all of the vaccines that are on there to fall back on this concept of herd immunity, which I understand the concept, but herd immunity, the concept of herd immunity was designed from understanding how infectious pockets of disease affected the overall population. And when the overall population isn't being allowed to have those infectious pockets of disease, What's being created by vaccines is not actually herd immunity in the way that they think it is herd immunity. So we're still having these huge outbreaks of kids that are getting whooping cough in 99% vaccinated populations because, you know, it's... And, and this kind of information comes out all the time about different vaccines. But unless you know to ask the questions, you, you know, you don't have the awareness that it's happening. And with these mandates, and they're falling back on this herd immunity concept, that if they were able to push these things through, this herd immunity concept only works if they force all of the adults to get up to date on all of their booster shots as well. And you have to keep getting these booster shots because this humoral immunity that's been artificially created is only temporary. That's why you have to keep getting boosters over and over again. And there's some fairly solvent hypothesis that the reason why we have shingles the way that we have shingles now is because the elders' bodies have forgotten that they've had chickenpox because grandkids don't have chickenpox anymore, students don't have chickenpox anymore, and getting exposed to chickenpox, again, when you've already had chickenpox, is nature's booster. Right. I had chickenpox when I was little. Yeah. So, you know, this is why we have this, you know, in theory, Mm -hmm. from some of us who make these theories from the holistic side of immunity... Mm -hmm. Um, this is why we have such huge shingles outbreaks now because people's bodies don't remember that they Mm. had it because they don't have the the constant exposure anymore. That herd immunity concept and this mandated vaccine concept, if they were to force all the adults to come up to date on all these boosters, I I firmly believe there would be bodies in the streets. Mm. The incidence of severe inflammatory arthritis in women over 45 with the MMR booster. I, I don't have the literature in front of me, but when I saw it, the last I saw it, I want to say it was something like 85% incidence of severe inflammatory arthritic reactions in women over 45. Wow. I already have a family history of rheumatoid arthritis and lupus and MS. And like, I, there's no way I'm signing up for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> But I also know that if measles is going around, I'm going to, like, start giving everybody in the house with vitamin A. Right. So what, so your, your solution to that is what? To keep your immune system healthy, to use herbs, to use natural medicines. Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, one of the arguments that they're making when they're trying to get rid of these exemptions that they're, they're saying, well, people don't really have a, there's no religion out there that supports not doing this for your family. Part of the problem is it's mislabeled. It shouldn't be called a religious exemption. It should be called a spiritual exemption. No one can define anyone else's spiritual belief system. One of the reasons why I love the medicine church that I work with and that I consider to be my primary basis for spirituality is 100% non-denominational. 
It's such a beautiful place. We've got people from, and this is when I go to Brazil to work with my, mm. my group there, people from all over the world, all different belief systems. And we can all come to a common place where we know that we just want to grow together personally and accept each other for who we are, not be in judgment of other people's belief systems, not feel like we have to defend our own. Mm. But it was scary. I mean, I sat and spoke with the panel of religious leaders at the state house a month ago, two months ago, mm. to actually try and convince the Joint Committee on Public Health that Massachusetts should not ban religious exemptions. And New Jersey just beat it, but a bunch of states, one state after another, they're getting rid of exemptions. And part of the reason why they're making this complaint is because they're saying a bunch of families that don't really have true religious belief systems that stop them from doing this or using it. And when that is happening, it's happening because these children have medical reasons why they can't get the vaccines. The parents can't in good conscience continue to do it. And they don't have any other way to get out of it because the government guidelines on medical exemption are so small that they don't even include something as simple as Merck's own insert saying it is a gross contraindication to give this vaccine to a child that is allergic to eggs. If any doctor were to do that with any other medication in any other context, that doctor would be sued. It's a frank contraindication listed on the packaging. But in this instance, they say, no, it's not an exemption. Go ahead and give it to the child. Let's see what happens. And nobody's liable. They removed all the liability. So it, it's, it's just one of those things that, you know. And then the PR generated aspect of it, that everybody that has the opinion that I have on this is labeled an anti-vaxxer. And that's not true at all. Mm -hmm. I'm not against vaccines at all. I'm against being forced into having vaccines that I don't want and need. Mm -hmm. With a family history of autoimmune disease that like these stand a legitimate chance of injuring my child. And I have the knowledge to know that that is in fact true. So it's, and we're living in an age where, you know, it's like a 21st century witch hunt that because I have this opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because your kids you know, in school so yeah. they have to get them. What about They shedding? don't have to get them, though. That's the thing. Isn't there a thing about the State thing? law says that we have these exemptions that we're allowed to use. And yeah, a friend of mine actually has, she has a note from her. At least that's what the state law says right now. Yeah. We're, you know, by, by next week, we're <laughs> going to decide what the Joint Committee on Public Health has to say about this. But mm -hmm. there were many people when I was at the state house at this hearing that the Joint Committee on Public Health, there were many people on that committee that believed that the state actually has a really effective policy in place mm -hmm. for how to deal with outbreaks. And that's why we haven't seen any outbreaks of measles in Massachusetts the way, because our public health policy that already exists is actually very effective. Um, so shedding is a whole nother thing. Yeah, because if yeah. your kids are exposed to other kids who have just yeah. had a vaccine. And this is part of the problem with the whooping cough vaccine okay. and some of the other live vaccines, that immune compromised people or people that are already sick or, um, you know, for various reasons, they could... Live vaccines can shed the illness. Um, and what does that mean exactly? It means basically that the person that received the vaccine is contagious. And because the symptoms are so mild, oftentimes when they're vaccine-induced illnesses, a lot of times you don't know that you're sick, which makes the likelihood of you spreading it actually much higher. Now, there's a lot of debate about this concept. I know a lot of people that don't think shedding is an issue. Mm -hmm. I've seen it in action. I've seen the nasal flu shot, which is a live virus. I've seen people get that shot, sneeze on the person next to them, and within a week, the person next to them has the flu. 
my example is I had in my office, one of the people that I was working with brought in their child to the office and I hadn't seen this baby in a while. And I was playing with the baby and holding the baby and the baby was drooling all over me. And like, I'm used to being drooled all over. I'm a pediatric physician, chiropractor. And I wasn't thinking anything of it. Within three days, I started to get the most horrific stomach pain I have ever experienced in my life. And I was so violently ill for three days once I did finally start vomiting. I, I mean, I was in agony. I couldn't, I had never had a stomach bug like this. And I jokingly went to work the next day and was like, oh, your little Petri dish got whatever, you know, whatever she got all over me. And he was like, oh my God, she got the rotavirus vaccine at the doctor's office that morning. Wow. Rotavirus, rotavirus vaccine is live and oral. So she drank it had a mouthful of it and then drooled all over me and I got rotavirus from it. Wow. I mean, and I am here to tell you, like it was the worst stomach bug I have ever had in my life. So, and this is the other issue that we've had a lot of the shedding. What's shedding is these like Franken viruses, which is why when you see kids get chicken pox now, if you look at some of the pictures of it, it's like, oh my God, chicken pox never looked like this when we were kids. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It's, it's complex. Yeah. It's complex. And for every holistic person like me that has this opinion, you're going to have a medical person that comes out and say, ah, it's not true. Sure. Science, 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 science. Right. But there's, there's more than one side to the science. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is a holistic side to the science that says that this is a disaster, mm -hmm. the way that our current vaccine program is going right now. So what should people do if they don't want to get their kids vaccinated, but they're scared, their doctors are telling them to, they don't have the knowledge that you have, you know, they're, they're scared. They so have, like I have a friend who's pregnant right now and she's like, yeah. I don't know what to do. Should I, or should I, mean, I'm scared not to. Is I want to be really clear about my wording on this. Mm. <laughs> it is outside of my scope of practice as a chiropractic physician in Massachusetts to give any advice about how you choose to proceed with vaccination for your family. What I can say is what I would say about any medical procedure. You have the human right and civil right to informed consent to medical procedures. What that means is you need to know what all the potential benefits of the procedure are and you need to know what all the potential risks of the procedure are. In order to know all of the potential risks, you have to actually pull out the tissue paper insert that you're probably going to need a magnifying glass to read. <laughs> And read it from beginning to end so that you know at least what's been studied because there really aren't the studies that have been done, the few that even come close to valid studies, they're still using aluminum adjuvant in the placebo instead of saline. And the aluminum and other adjuvants are part of the reason why people are having some of the reactions that they're having. So it's still not proper science even when they come close to doing the science. And there's no long-term studies. And they haven't compared any of them in combination the way that, you know, it's... It's, mm. it's really scary from a, from a holistic perspective mm. on the research. You should know what all those risks are. And once you've determined what the potential benefits are and what the potential risks are and what you, in your own personal spirituality, believe your place in the bigger picture of the community is, if you believe, truly believe, that you are putting other people at risk because you're not doing this thing and that is a true belief that you have, then you have to factor that in. I actually don't believe that, personally. I think I have the right to exist in nature without being messed with and not be faulted for that. Um, it's not a personal attack on anyone else. It is my desire to maintain bodily sovereignty. <laughs> Naturally occurring, God-given bodily sovereignty. Um, 
And then like any other decision, you make your choice. But letting go of the right to make that choice is an incredibly slippery slope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think for me, it's scary when people just follow blindly. Like they, and people think doctors, you know, their doctors know better than Mm -hmm. that. Well, and a lot of people that attack the so-called anti-vaccine movement say, oh, like it's because of Jenny McCarthy and you know, like it's nothing to do with Jenny McCarthy. It doesn't even have anything to do with autism for me. I mean, I have a lot of friends that are on the autism spectrum that are very, very defensive about this idea that vaccines cause autism. Mm -hmm. They believe that they are on a natural spectrum of neurodiverse individuals and that we are not downgrading them as individuals in society, but there's like a specific handicapping them as individuals Mm -hmm. in society by, by calling them autism spectrum. What's really hard for me is the people that I know that are actually having this conversation are clearly very highly functioning on the spectrum. Mm. The children that I deal with, the family constellations are utterly destroyed. The level of self-harm and suffering that some of these children are experiencing Mm. and the quality of life that is not only utterly non-existent, but the family constellation is just in absolute misery just witnessing the suffering that's going on all day. The parents can't hold down jobs. The, I mean, it's just, it's, it's awful. So I'm not saying that there's not a piece of that, but in my opinion, it is genetically predisposed. It is multifactorial. My argument about bodily sovereignty and the right to medical decision-making and the right to informed consent to medical decision-making, more importantly and specifically, has nothing to do with autism. Mm. It, it really, it's a, it's a much bigger issue for me. Yeah on many fronts. Mm-hmm. Um, but inevitably all of the people that don't want to vaccinate for whatever reason are placed in this anti-vaccine camp mm-hmm. and it's PR generated to create division. And that division is based on fear because again, going back to this concept, no one wants to see anyone die. And no one wants to see any suffer, anyone suffer. What we do all have is that we all share the desire to see our families be healthy and well. Mm-hmm. So I always try and bring it back to that. Listen, like we all have the same goal here. You're going to do it your way and I'm going to do it my way. I'm not going to judge you for the way that you're doing it. And I ask you to leave my rights intact to do it my way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So ending off, how would you, are there any other, in terms of diet or exercise or health? I mean, we talked about a lot of stuff and I asked you like what types of herbs would you Mm -hmm. recommend that if people are on every day and you said nettle would be Mm -hmm. a really good one to start with. Nettle and oat straw are the two infusions. And the only caveat with oat straw would Mm. be that if you have celiac disease bad enough that you're sensitive to oat. Okay. There is a protein in oat called avenin that is very Mm. similar to gluten. Um, I find that most people that are just on gluten-free diets but that can eat oats are okay with oat straw. Okay. But that people that are celiac and that have issues with oats maybe don't want to do oat straw. So for nettles, it's vitamin K. And for oat straw, it's celiac disease. Those are the. But again, you take a cup of it, you pour boiling water over it, you leave it for four to six hours, and then you strain it off and you drink it. And, and, to, and what else is it good for? Oat straw. Um, so I have some on my website descriptions about 
you know, again, same thing, the vitamins, the minerals, mm. the oat straw is also a deeply nourishing nervine tonic. Mm. So it's fabulous for the nervous system. Uh, it's fabulous for the reproductive system and just keeping things kind of juicy and healthy. And, you know, it's where the term sow your wild oats comes from. Mm. <laughs> um, so nettles and oat straw, I think, are two... Um, you know, really simple, really inexpensive things that you can add. And I like them in the infusion form because you garner the most nutrient value from them that way. And you also get the added hydration of drinking them. I mean, most of us are also chronically dehydrated. Uh, my herbal teachers teach half of your body weight in ounces every day as the minimum amount of water that you're supposed to have. So if you're 150 pounds, that's 75 ounces of water a day minimum. Mm. And for any caffeinated or alcoholic beverages you're drinking, you have to replace that fluid as well. And then some because they're both diuretics as well. Um, so I think staying hydrated is huge. Mm. Adding simple nourishing herbal infusions is huge. Mm. Having some kind of regular exercise regime. Um, one of my friends pointed out on her beautiful, um, it's not a podcast, but it's a little like a Facebook video that she does. Uh, she's a Waldorf teacher and she pointed out this very simple concept that one of the reasons also why we get sick in the winter is because we're more sedentary. Mm. If you're moving your limbs, your lymphatics are flowing and they're going to be more effective. So that's another, you know, really simple, simple Rudolf Steiner based principle of like just keeping your body moving and how important that is. In New England, it's particularly challenging because the latitude that we're at, we barely get enough vitamin D in the summer to hit healthy vitamin D levels. So in the winter... I do, as much as I'm not a huge fan of supplements in general, I do think we need to be supplementing with vitamin D. So what other supplements? Vitamin D? So Are there any other supplements that you would recommend? I also do, at the first hint of any kind of tickle in the mm -hmm. sinuses or in the throat, I start doing echinacea elderberry tea. Traditional medicinal tea is great. Really simple. Um, what I know about echinacea is that it's particularly good for bacterial sinus and throat things but also you have to get ahead of the ahead of the train if you start pounding echinacea at the first hint of something again we garner, we garner a little more awareness over time if we're connected to what's going on in our bodies the first hint if you wait until the second hint it's too late with echinacea um, so if I start feeling something and wake up in bed at night and I'm like, oh, I'm a little sore and, and achy and I get up and I go downstairs and I make echinacea elderberry tea and I put a dropper full of echinacea in it by the next morning, I can already tell that I, I got ahead of the train. If I wait until the next morning to do that, it's already too late. Mm -hmm. If I'm too lazy to get out of bed and I wait until the next morning, it's already too late yeah, and I'll end up with way. like a sinus throat thing. Yeah. Um, I've noticed that with echinacea. You got to catch it right away. I am a huge advocate of elderberry in some form every day as soon as the fall equinox hits. Um, again, we've barely gotten to vitamin D status in New England before the daylight starts decreasing. And as soon as the plant showed me, look, I'm ripe now, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. This is the time we were apparently supposed to start taking this. And it really is true. Um, patients that I know that take that advice and take elderberry on a regular basis. And there's a lot of studies out that show it as well. A lot of the studies, unfortunately, are in vitro, not in vivo, which means that they've shown that the elderberry works against these viral and bacterial particles in petri dishes. But 
I, there are a few studies that actually show it also in the titers of the, the different, I think it's mostly been done in mice at this point. Um, but elderberry is a very powerful antiviral, and we know this for a fact. Um, also, if you look at elderberry juice, mm. it drips dark. It's more purple than it is red. But again, it's a doctrine of signatures. It tells you what it does. It, you for know, the blood. It's, it's, gonna, it's for the blood. Yeah. It's going to enhance the immunity in the blood. Mm, that's so um, cool. I love that. about So I take a tablespoon of it every day. And when I know that I'm fighting something off, I'll take several tablespoons of it. I make gummies also. I have gummies in the refrigerator with them. And I find elderberry syrup actually to be really sweet. I like elderberry concentrate in soda water. I make like a little spritzer out of it that is actually pretty tasty. Mm -hmm. so, so a lot of people, won't, they don't like the elderberry because they don't like the sugar. So you can do it with elderberry juice. Elderberries need to be dried and or cooked. The, there are uh, cyanogenic glycosides in them, which cyanogenic, cyanide. Uh, so it's not cyanide, straight cyanide, but you destroy the cyanogenic glycosides by cooking and or drying them. So I like to cook them. Even when they're dried, I still cook them. Um, it can create some stomach upset if you have too much of it. And cooking it destroys those compounds and makes it safe to ingest. Um, so vitamin C, vitamin D, if you know measles is going around, vitamin A is proven to reduce the um, virulence and the intensity and duration of measles if measles is actually if you've been in contact with it um i also do zinc and magnesium and i do a lot of bone broth vegetable broth um you know it's so funny it's like a whole other topic for you and i that i'd love another conversation right. <laughs> with you someday because i'm a weston a price person um, and i'm also a typo negative blood type that i, tr I truly well. believe that if i didn't eat meat i would die but i'm a typo and they well. have an intrinsic factor deficiency which means i can't absorb b12 properly mm. so it, it's like really i'm in trouble when i feel when i don't eat meat mm. when i go down to brazil in march for my church retreat i think we're going to be having all uh live food live I, I think it's gonna raw, be all vegan. raw uh, vegan. Uh, wow. yeah so and I do feel great yeah. when I'm when I'm on that kind of diet I mean sure. it does feel really good to give my body a break mm. from the meat but I get anemic and b12 deficient really fast when I'm not eating meat I, I need to eat less meat. Mm. Um, and a lot of my herbal teachers, you know, they say, like, you look back at the Native Americans and different people, like, they didn't eat meat the way that we ate meat. They right. had small game like and they boiled it to month. the point where it was like, you know, like, if you have, like, pulled pork or something like right. that, like, it's in shreds. Right. And it's not every so, day. And it's not every day. You know, you put it in soup. It's small game. Right. It's local. It's in season. Mm -hmm. You have the connection with the earth that you actually, like, caught it yourself. And I, I love, I, my one of my herbal teacher actually says, gave it death yourself. Mm. I like that better than saying I killed it. Mm. <laughs> I gave it death. We had, a, you know, a, a conversation about this and gratitude for the life force that, you know. Mm. But but traditionally, you know, they had big cauldrons over rollicking wood fires that, like, they boiled soups and broths and the bones and everything. Rendered the fat, cooked in the fat. Um, but it was cooked at you know, low temperatures for long periods of time. Mm -hmm. And I think meat is actually much more digestible for humans that way. So 
there are multiple issues with our food system, obviously. Oh, yeah. I also, That's a whole other podcast. you know, I mean, talk about a, an issue of privilege. I believe in buying everything locally as much as possible, and we eat all organic. We probably could save a whole bunch of money to be going on trips and doing all kinds of other things for not spending that money, but, like, that's the investment that we make in our family as well as our local economy making that choice. I've also priced out the things that we're buying, and it doesn't actually matter where I'm buying them. I've tried, you know, just done the experiment, due diligence, Thrive Market, Vitacost, minimal savings, the carbon footprint for the level of packaging that I experienced in both of those instances was utterly appalling. I said, I don't care if it saves me $100 a week. I cannot justify all this plastic and all the fossil fuel for all the extra shipping. It was like, I just, I just couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't do it. Um, the glyphosate is a problem. I really tell people to eat all organic as much as possible because the glyphosate that the food is soaked in the Roundup, it is just... I mean, I can see it. I can see it in my patients with these chronic digestive ailments that we're up against all the time. The systems are under such strain from this mm. compound. It's awful. Um, and then there's the dirty dozen and the clean 15 from environmental working groups. So I tell them, listen, if you can't afford to buy all the things organic, if you're going to eat conventional food, buy it off the clean 15 list. If you must eat things on the dirty dozen list, please buy those things organic. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you've got to... You've got to make it realistic. You've right. got to make it viable for people. Or What about things like chlorella, spirulina? Because I don't take a lot of supplements, yeah. but I do take... I haven't been, but I used to take... I used to like chlorella. Yeah, there's a lot... It seems more natural There's a lot of things that I've seen saying that the protein, the vitamin content of these different kinds of blue-green algae are actually really valuable sourcing is really tough. The same thing with fatty acids. Like they're really important, but they're also notoriously polluted. Mm. And to buy spirulina and chlorella from sources where you know that they're doing the third party testing to make sure that they're sourcing these things from places where you're not actually ingesting more toxins than what you're getting rid of. It's, it's very price prohibitive for mm. a lot of people. Um, I haven't researched it enough to really decide. I've thought about, you know, adding it to our regime for sure, but kind of on the, on the bottom of the list for yeah. me, but I also eat meat. I think that if you are vegan or vegetarian, then having something like chlorella or spirulina is actually really Not beneficial. Important. Yeah. Yeah. So I should be clear also, mm. since you asked where people can find me, I, mm. I do provide chiropractic services at the Lydian Center um, for innovative healthcare and Lydian chiropractic in Cambridge. I do want to be clear again, anytime we have a conversation like this in the free speech realm these days, that these are my opinions. They may be shared with some of the people that I work with. They may not be shared with some of the people that I work with. This is not a reflection upon my employer in any way, shape or form. <laughs> um, but the chiropractic work we do there is pretty awesome and we don't do any advertising. It's all word of mouth. I do about once a month also do clinical herbal intakes on people at my teacher's um, office in Marblehead. That's Earthsong Herbals. And anybody that was interested in an herbal consultation with me, that's pretty much the only place I'm doing it right now, about once a month. Will you and be doing more of those on your own eventually? I think eventually, but right now, I the three days that I'm in Cambridge are such long days mm. that my other days are the days that I run the household and mm. do my self-care and 
I, I just love your approach. I to just herbalism, don't have so space for I'm it right sure now. I want to start teaching it more. I mean, my goal mm -hmm. really with my website mm -hmm. is to make all one of the things again, all my blessed teachers, herbal medicine is green medicine is people's medicine. It's free and it grows all around us. And some of the, my favorite herbs and some of the most nutritious are weeds. Mm -hmm. I go to my Daniel CSA. My yeah, I, I go to my CSA every year. I go to the pick your own section and I go back to the CSA manager. I'm like, the purslane, the lamb's quarter, the amaranth, the henbit, the, I mean, the fields are full of weeds that are actually more nutritious than the things that you're cultivating on purpose. <laughs> um, the problem with a lot of the weeds here is that you can't guarantee that they haven't been sprayed right. with Roundup or rock salt from the roads or who knows what, mm. dog urine, you know. It's <laughs> So you have to know definitely where you're harvesting the, mm. the stuff from. Um, but this is free information that, like I said, everybody, you know, that, that conversation of privilege, I want everybody to have access to this. My website is when I, <laughs> it's going to be a lifetime project. Yeah. It's really, it is amazing how, I, I think this is really like a lifetime of study, like many other things, sure. but what I want the, website? uh, Dr. D-R-N-I-C-O-L-E com. So it just reads drnicolemedicinewoman.com. And I have, I'm building a Materia Medica database there so that you can go and learn about all these plants. And these these databases exist already on the internet. A bunch of different herbs and teachers. Um, you can go online and search like, what is this plant good for? Or what plant is good for this? And you do have to be careful. Again, not every plant that is good for a specific condition is going to be right for the person that's asking the question. That's why having a clinical herbal consultation is helpful. Mm -hmm. um, the consultations that we do, when I do them with Marty, they're sliding scale. So she has all the information about that on her website. Eventually, I'd like to be able to do that. I do offer right now, on an ongoing basis, the herbal infusion kits, which is a pound of nettle, a pound of oat straw, a quart mason jar, and a stainless steel straining screen with written instructions in the URL for my website that talks about how to do it. And where can people order that on your website? Um, so right now, the best way to order that is actually to call Lydian Chiropractic, um, pay for it over the phone, and then have me deliver it if you're local. I haven't progressed to the shipping arena yet if people wanted it badly enough I could probably be convinced to do it mm -hmm. um, again it's just a function of time and mm. you know because a lot of people hearing this yeah well and you know how it is with your apothecary down there like I have a section on my porch where when people know that I'm selling thing I say like here's the here's right. the yogurt cup you know throw your dollars in it and and this one's got your name on it and right. you know where to find it on the porch come and get it right. <laughs> and if I'm running errands you know I'll, I'll drive by your house and drop it on your yeah. porch and but, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm at the point where, like, I'm really minimizing the electronics as much as possible. People are like, do you have an Instagram? I'm like, no, I can't deal with one more electronic thing, please. Well, you are a wealth of knowledge. I'm so happy. I mean, I could talk to you for hours. I have hours. lots of videos on my website, too. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay, so people can yeah. go there and find out a lot more information. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I could talk to you for oh, hours it's for hours. hours. I mean, it could just hours. go on and on and on. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank this you. This is awesome. So fun. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Great. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week. Stay elevated.
Don't forget to check out my Instagram at Alyssa Cohen Raw. You can also watch these podcasts on my YouTube channel or listen on Podbean or iTunes. And make sure you check out my Patreon where you can get member benefits, rewards, behind the scenes content, and live streams with me that only my Patreon family has access to. You can easily find links to all of this on my site at AlyssaCohen.com.